Good evening, Haddon. Hi, Gordon. I'm glad to get here safely. It's <laughs> good. Well done. Yeah. Uh, thanks to the caravan step from my neighbour. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great to have you here. Two brief introductory comments. This isn't going to be an introduction to Haddon that you would hear on question time. <laughs> Thank you. I asked you very recently about thinking of the place of uh, older Christians. I, I thought about you, Haddon, and we were in the prayer meeting just a week and a half ago thinking about Caleb, Joshua 14, and I suppose I was considering the place that we give to older Christians. In that chapter, Caleb was clearly a blessing to the people because of the way in which he was able to look back on the promises that had been fulfilled. And you saw somebody who was 85, still with vigor and zeal and a determination to uh, show what faithfulness looks like in the long haul. And as I was driving home, as you know, I phoned you and asked, would you come and share something tonight? Like many other people, the, this is the second comment, like many other people, I've had an opportunity to chat to you on a fairly regular basis and our conversations roam uh, across a wide range of interests and influences. And when we met this week to talk about tonight, we talked about art and we talked about relationships in the body of Christ and we talked about struggle and pain and we talked about mission and a few other themes that... I think we'll just leave. They're not really for public conversation tonight anyway. But we didn't talk about communion and story. Mm. So this is an adventure tonight. <laughs> I'm excited and I'm also nervous. Sure am I. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm praying that uh, the words of the last hymn will guide us. And really, I suppose my role is to keep you on track. Thank you for the first hymn, by the way, mm. All People That On Earth Do Dwell. I ask that because I have asked Betty, I'm presuming she will succeed me or live after me, but I've asked her to make that the opening hymn at my funeral, so we had a rehearsal this evening. Okay, okay. well, <laughs> let, me, let me just stop you there, please, Haddon. Yeah. One of my roles, I, I, I watch Betty, and she performs a role with aplomb, Good. And I'm trying I, to learn from her. So forgive me in advance if I interrupt you with a line like, you've talked enough about that, haven't <laughs> Yeah, she will indicate that to me. <laughs> well, no, seriously. <laughs> it is great to have an opportunity uh, to listen to somebody who tonight, like Caleb, I believe, seems full of zeal in his latter years. But I'm going to begin right back at the beginning. Tell us, Haddon, where are your family from? And uh, any childhood memory that stands out? Um, I was born in 1937. I'll be 81 next uh, Sunday. But I was born in 37, and my family lived in a very simple little house in Batley Street off Bloomfield Avenue. Um, I'm the baby of the family. My sister Mabel was 12 years older than me, and my brother Eddie was seven years older, so I was very much the, the baby of the family and the only one left. And uh, it was a very happy home. 
Christian home. Um, I never knew my mother off crutches. She, she had very severe chronic rheumatoid arthritis and suffered a great deal, and I never knew her without crutches. But uh, a wonderful, happy home. Dad was rarely around. He was a troubleshooter for Sirocco Works, traveled a lot, and was an ex-army man, and then rejoined just at the end of the war, UNRWA, the United Nations National Relief of Austria, and he, so he was away a lot. Uh, but it was a happy home. We went to Grove Baptist Church. Mom and Dad had been married there. I went to Sunday school there, and we were regular attenders there. So from an early age, God and the gospel were instilled into me in a lovely, friendly, cordial way at home. Happy home. And where did you go to school? Went to Elm Grove Primary School, uh, which is not very far from Grove Baptist Church and uh, did the uh, dreaded 11 plus the first year it came out, 1948, um, and subsequently went to Sullivan then, and that was a good experience, very good experience. And school life was happy. I wasn't the greatest scholar at all, but I loved school and had great friends there, and still, in fact, tomorrow morning, um, I'm going to bury one of those that I've known from my teenage years, you know, uh, but happy time at school. Happy time, and education became a, a, quite an important theme for you, didn't it? Yeah, Deb, but I mean, don't get the wrong impression. I mean, I, I, I left school at 16, served an apprenticeship with Charlotte Harlands, uh, was a fitter turner, uh, went to the drawing office and did higher national certificate, higher national diploma, so I took that route, not the normal A-level academic route, very practical route. Um, got a job, and this is where Betty will start to say, wind to get up, but uh, the, uh, I got a job, I was in design in Harlan, short in Harlands, and I got a job designing research equipment for Professor Crossland, subsequently, you know, Sir, Sir Bernard Crossland. He turned out to be a wonderful friend because it was he who suggested, uh, what about a degree, Hatton? And uh, he was really my mentor academically and a wonderful friend. It was at his 80th birthday. I was invited to it, and on the way in, he stopped me. If anybody who knew Crossland will know, he, he spoke as though his nose was broken. Somebody's <laughs> nose very, very posh. Uh, but on the way in, he says, Wilson, you're religious, aren't you? And I said, I'm a Christian, that'll do, he said. Um, would you say thanks at the uh, banquet for my birthday? But a lovely, lovely, friendly man, you know, who had a big influence on me. Good. I can see why you wanted to sit in this seat rather than th that one now, but... Uh, I just was afraid that walking across there I'd fall off and nobody would remember anything else <laughs> about the evening. Remember when Hatton fell and broke his neck and died? Uh, yeah. Well, we have that hymn ready. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you talked about Grove Baptist. Grove Baptist, on yes. Beersbridge Road. Yes. Any early memories of that? And uh, tell us as well if you have a particular memory of when you trusted Christ. Yes, first. it's a good question. I, 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 Grove. I'm glad all the people who were associated with Grove are dead now, but uh, at least in my days. Uh, I found Bloomfield Baptist more exciting. Willie Mullen was there, and Willie Mullen and my father were actually close friends. Uh, but I used to go along there and tell lies, because he would say, are you saved, Hatton? And I'd say, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I wasn't, but it got him off my back. And uh, uh, so I remember his preaching 
and I was definitely convicted by it, but not sufficiently to make a profession of faith. And so I, I, I continued bluffing my way, letting my parents think I was a Christian, and certainly Willie Mullen thought I was a Christian. But I had a friend in school, Harold Carson. Some may know him, but Harold was the real thing. There's no doubt about it. He was the real thing. And that had a profound influence on me. I knew that he was the Christian I wanted to be. And uh, as a result of that, I really was wanting to find Christ and and witness like Harold. And I was at a Youth for Christ meeting in the uh, Grosvenor Hall when I was, uh, I bet I could put the dates on, about 16 or thereabouts, maybe seven, no, 17. And uh, as I learned afterwards, when we were both being baptized in Great Victoria Street Baptist Church, that Betty was saved on the same night. But we didn't know that until I heard her give her testimony. So it was a Youth for Christ meeting in Grosvenor Hall at the age of 17. I really realized I'm going to make a stand and endeavor to be a Christian, the real thing, rather than the pretend thing I was. Youth for Christ was obviously an influence then. It was. Are there other influences you can think of in your early Christian development? Um, I liked Willie, Willie Mullen, some of you will know, was a real character. Now, he used to come to our house. He had a profound effect on me because he was the real thing. And he used to come to our house. My father smoked like a train. And no, very few would have known this, except his hands give it away. But, um, he, he, but Willie would come into the house on a Sunday evening after preaching in Belfast. And he would take his socks and shoes off and warm his feet at the fire. And my father would be fidgeting around, and he would turn around and say, Eddie, get a cigarette in your mouth and stop fidgeting. You know, and, and, but I mean, the reality of the man, and then he would talk and pray, but he was so real. His feet were planted in the ground. You know, many of you do. Willie Mullen was a tramp who came to saving faith in Christ, and there was a remarkable reality about him. And I suppose we all admire integrity, and I admired it in, in that man. I know he had a sad end, but nevertheless, a man without a question whose life God had touched. And like Harold Carson, Willie Mullen, these were people who I thought I want to be the real thing, like they are. Betty. Betty. Tell us, tell us where you met Betty. Hmm. <laughs> She's nervous now. Yeah, uh, Betty, and I, Betty and I met on a blind date, totally blind. I, I was going, Great Victoria Street Baptist Church in the 50s was the place to go. You know, it was the sort of, uh, if you wanted a woman or a man, um, it, was the, it was the dating center of the Baptist churches. Uh, I, 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 well, I'm not talking about where that is now. But um, the, the thing is, I went along, and, and the, the, the preacher there was Eric Gurr, G-U-R-R. And Eric Gurr was a remarkable preacher. He really was. Some will remember him here, but very few are as old as I am. He, um, he had come straight from Stratford-on-Avon, where he was uh, an actor on the Shakespearean company there. And he was, he was really a wonderful preacher. I'll always remember him preaching on Daniel's, the Belshazzar's feast. And he had these remarkable hands, and he was talking about the handwriting on the wall. His hand almost seemed to detach from his body, and he would write on the wall behind him. And, you know, you were 
It, it was so effective. Anyway, I went there very full normally, so full one night, I was on the balcony and they had to put people in behind the choir. And this young woman came in and I thought, oh, I like that. Uh, <laughs> are you allowed to say that? Uh, 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 and uh, I made some inquiries and got her address. I'd never met her, wrote to her. She still has the letter. I wrote to her and uh, said, being the last of the big spenders, I thought I'll take her to church. So we, <laughs> we met the following Sunday night and I arranged to meet at Robinson Cleaver's Corner and I thought, I'm not going to be there first. That would give the wrong impression. So I hid behind the American War Memorial and at the City Hall, and this young lady arrived. And I'm, not, I'm going to embarrass her now, but I could describe and even draw exactly what she had on. And I thought, she's taken a lot of care. This is a good sign. And uh, when she had settled and began to look at her around and check her watch, I then emerged from the front of the City Hall. And for the first time, spoke to Betty, and I can honestly say, embarrassed though she might be at this, I immediately knew this is the woman I'm going to marry, okay? I had no doubt. She took a bit of convincing, but, <laughs> but nevertheless, it was, it was clear to me that I was going to marry this woman, and I persuaded her after a while she was onto a good thing, and we got married, <laughs> you know? How long are you married, and what's your family now? Tell me about If we, kids, we were families. married... In 1959, uh, we're quite excited, uh, you know, if God spares us, uh, we would be married 60 years, 19, in, in July 19. So we're hoping that'll happen, but who knows. Um, we have four children. We have uh, Claire, who lives in Belfast. We have Ross, who lives in Belfast. We have Simon, who lives in the um, other side of the water, he's in, in Norfolk. He's here tonight simply, I mean, that's a coincidence. He didn't come over because of me. In fact, he'd far rather David was preaching, but, <laughs> uh, but he's here tonight. And then we have Martin and he's in heaven. Uh, he, 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 we didn't have him for very long. So four children, two in Belfast, two boy, two, a girl and two boys, and one in heaven. Welcome, Simon. Yeah, it's good to have Simon here, yeah. You mentioned education. Yeah. And you became school inspector? Yes, I, I, I did. I, uh, yeah, uh, Crossland to say was good to me. He financed or got financed for some research and I got a degree and did some work and got a higher degree. And uh, then I, if there are any professors here, this is going to be a little offensive. I, 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 I find that university was all about research. You, it didn't matter whether you were a good teacher or not, as long as you were bringing in money for research. Now, I know that's a bit offensive to some, but nevertheless, that was my experience. Uh, I, I, I did bring in some money. I'm not going to boast about that. Betty says I'm good at subtle boasting, so I'll try and avoid that. Uh, but I really was interested in education, and so I left the department at Queen's and worked in the school's inspectorate and loved that, where I, and I saw my job as representing the department to the teachers and the teachers to the department, and loved that work. It was mainly with science and technology people and some uh, tertiary education in the colleges, but uh, those were great years. I really loved that work, and, and that's, what, that's where my love was in, in, in the teaching as distinct from the research. And yet the research was great fun. And I mean, I loved going to work on a Monday and it was an exciting time, but teaching was what I really wanted to do. 
Isn't it lovely to hear somebody say, I love going to work on a Monday? No, I did. Uh, that, that's yeah. great. W any challenges that stand out as you think about that period of your life? The, the, the only, when I worked for the Department of Education, I could have got carried away with my own significance. Honestly, I'm not to say, yeah, you know, I was regularly going to London to sit in committee meetings in the Department of Education, the Elizabeth House in London, and I, got, I could have got sucked into that. Do you follow me? I like this life. And uh, at, at one stage, it was suggested I move from the professional to the administrative side of the civil service, and there were probably more proportion, pro, uh, you know, opportunity for promotion there. But I, I honestly did see myself getting sucked more and more into that being the important thing in life, rather than pursuing God. Uh, and so I was preaching a little, you okay? But my life was being absorbed by the, the working environment and the desire to do well and get on and progress. And Herbie Carson, who was our minister in Hamilton Road in Bangor, challenged me. And he said, you know, I'd been doing some part-time preaching, and he came and he said, Haddon, you have on the back burner what you'd be on the front burner. I didn't want to hear that. I, I, I really did not want to hear that. But um, it, it made me think. And so I, I said, to God, thy will be done, okay? And, uh, you know, I, I got a call from Balna Hinch. I'd done some preaching, and Balna Hinch gave me a call. And Gordon, I didn't want to know. I really did not want to know. I, I, I did everything I could to try and wiggle out of that. Uh, but, and, I, and the department offered me, I'm not going to boast about this, but they offered me a particular task to review teacher training in Northern Ireland. It was a delightful opportunity a very good budget and lots of time, and I knew that God was saying this Hamilton Road thing. And I had to give a decision to the department on a Friday morning, and I had promised Balna Hinch an answer. And I read according to Robert Murray McShane's calendar, and the reading that morning from Deuteronomy was very clear, I have set before you this day a blessing and a curse, choose well. Uh, I, I'm quite emotional. Boy, I knew what God was saying. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm under control again. Good, thank you. But it was, it, was, it was so clear, and I would say to you young people, if you're set on doing God's will, he will make it clear to you. Not set on a course of action, but set on doing his will then he will make it clear. And that day, I knew what his will was. I didn't want it. I wanted to stay in the professional world, or at least in the Department of Education. But I knew what the blessing was and where the curse was. And I went in and told the senior chief inspector, Ivan, I'm leaving. And he said to me, what are you going to do? I said, I think I'm going to become a Baptist pastor. One member's meeting off the door, Wilson. <laughs> that was very encouraging. <laughs> um, what year was that, Hatton? What year was that? 1996, 86. 86, 86 yes, yes. yes. I'm terribly old. When you are, but that's where, that's where I first, uh, I think, became aware of you. You were obviously really? a member in Hamilton Road. I was a member in the Daughter Church 
in Rosemary Park, as it was called right. at the time. And I remember there were almost the reverberations. I think you mm. must have preached in Rosemary Park, at least we were mm. aware of you as a, uh, somebody who preached well. And I remember people saying, did you know Haddon was going into pastoral ministry? Mm. So tell us a wee bit about that change, the transition from a role that you loved, yeah. Monday morning, going to work, to becoming the pastor in Balnehenge Baptist Church. What were some of the challenges that you faced? Well, you're right. I left something, honestly, now there's no false modesty here, I promise you. I left something I felt competent to do, to enter into something I was a complete rookie. Um, I wondered, can I sustain to serve two preaching sessions on a Sunday? And what was required then was definitely a Bible study on a Wednesday evening and so on. And I, I didn't know whether I could do that. Uh, and into the bargain, I, didn't, I just didn't think I fitted the mold at all. So I really came trembling into the pastorate. And it was awful. I mean, it was awful. Um, and no, there's no fault in Ballinahinch here. I'm sure I made it. But when I arrived in Ballinahinch, I arrived, David knows something about this, no, more than he's ever probably told you. But I arrived in Ballinahinch and discovered that there were two churches worshiping under the one roof. One was a very traditional Baptist church, and the other was spring harvest influenced, okay? So they were very different. And each of them expected the new pastor to champion their cause. It was awful. It was, it, the, the, it, that was definitely the worst 18 months of our married life. Betty would agree with that. It was heartbreaking. Because I, I couldn't be the totally traditional Baptist pastor. Um, but they were good people. They were lovely people. And I sided more, if you like, with the more contemporary expression. And the church split. I mean, can you imagine? And, and you're a rookie. I lost 50 members and all my elders. It was heartbreaking. Now, you're either an extremely arrogant individual, or you say, Lord, am I right? Should I be here? And so I offered my resignation, and the church called a members' meeting and brought Josh Thompson to chair it. And my plea to God was, if the church doesn't want me, I'm out of here. But you placed me here, Lord, so only you can remove me. This is your call. And the result was the church asked me to stay, in spite of the fact that it was depleted. Um, and you know, what I love to say, and I'm, I'm awfully glad I can say this, all of those people who left are parts of other, they're all, there's none of them out in the, the world lost. I mean, what I did was I developed all the neighboring Baptist churches, uh, you know, because they moved away and went to worship, particularly the more traditional ones. But from that moment onwards, we were pulling in the one direction. And I can honestly say I had 15, well, of the 15, 13 really happy years. The pastoral work, as David and you will know, it's not simple, straightforward. But those were happy years. I thank God for that. And we saw a lot of growth, and I received a lot of folk into membership. It was lovely. But uh, the first 18 months was the worst 18 months of my life. Mm, thank you for sharing that. 
I'm sure you, you've walked with people through lots of joys. I don't know how many people you've married, and also sorrows and difficulties. Can I ask you about one experience of loss that affected the whole town and the province? The tragedy of the Spence family. Spence family, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, not asking for an explanation, Adam, but what carried you and the church and that family through those difficult days? Yeah, um, I, I, I'm, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story that's related to this rather than maybe answer your question directly, though you can probe it. I, I don't see her a lot, but I would still visit Essie Spence. That's the mother, Nevin's mother. And what I'm pleased to say, Nessie occasionally would lift the phone and ask me to come and see her. But I was with Nessie some time ago. And can you imagine, I mean, especially you mothers there, imagine a situation where you lose your husband and your two sons in one fell swoop, just like that, and just outside the door. I mean, they just died within 10 meters of her front door. Uh, and she, 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 she was very broken. But when I was with Essie on that occasion, not all that long ago, I noticed she stared at me. She kept staring at me. It was almost hypnotic. And I said, Essie, why are you looking at me like that? She said, Haddon, when you counsel me, I need to know you believe this stuff, that you're not just playing pastors. That was, that, that, that really got close to me. And I, know, I think one of the reasons Essie has brought me back and would come to our home occasionally and pray with me is that she does know I believe this stuff. You know, little things, I would say to her, she would want to know, was this their time to go? Essie, Psalm 139 tells me that all my days were written in his book before one of them came to pass. Yes, it was their time to go. You see, people would say to her, just an accident. God had nothing to do with it. That's not helpful. It's also nonsense, but nevertheless, so it was their time to go. And then she would say, Hadn't, but it was terribly cruel. I would say, yeah. And then you're crying out, God help me, what will I say now? And I said, Essie, wasn't Calvary very, true, very cruel? Oh, yes, you would say. Essie, have you any doubt that God was in it? And a big smile would come on her face. Okay, okay. Even though it's very cruel, doesn't mean God wasn't in it. No, Essie, God was in it. He's taken them home. They, by the way, Noel and the boys love Jesus, okay? That's so important to her, and, and, and she can handle that. But you know, here would have been the difficult, say they didn't, or she had no faith. That would be the difficult one, David. And those occasions occur, you know, but it, it, yes, it was a heartbreaking occasion. On the other hand, the death of Nevin Spence had a profound effect on Irish rugby. There's no doubt about that. The Irish rugby team was there. Nearly all the provincial teams were there. They heard the gospel preached, and they also saw the gospel lived out in the life of Nevin Harris. Because uh, uh, he was real. And I thought, God, you have your own way of speaking to folk. And uh, uh, it was a difficult time. And a lot of it I have no, I don't understand. 
but I do know that God was in it, and Essie is now convinced of that, and that makes it all right. Not easy, but all right. If God was in it, it's okay. That would be her peace, or where her peace comes from. Sorry, am I going on too no, long? No, thank you, Haddon. That's very helpful. I'd like to come back to church in a moment, but you've been involved in John Brown University yes. and the, particularly the Irish Studies program. Yeah. Tell us what it is and what that's meant to you. It's meant a great deal. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll couple two things together there. Whenever I was pastoring the church, one of the things, in Balanage that is, one of the things, and I know David shares this, I honestly was passionate about the churches in Ballinahinch working together. I mean, we're part of a big thing. You know, the kingdom's much bigger than Baptists and Ballinahinch Baptist Church and Windsor and so on, and we know that. One of the joys was to bring together and to work with the other ministers in the town. And I remember once calling a... Pr so, so uh, to try to stick with your question, to, to have an... Op I, I honestly can say I am passionate about the people of God uniting and working together, wherever and however. And, and so the, the, the John Brown experiment, just to answer that, that they, they sent over a, a team in 1997, a, a small team of young people to work with the churches in the town in a sort of youth mission, not to do it, but to cooperate with the others in the town. And if you bring a lot of Americans in with no baggage, you know, and they're interesting, and we'd at least a, a genuine, full-blooded Navajo Indian among them, no Cherokee Indian among them, and that, you know, that was fascinating to a lot of the folks. So they, they were able to, and we had several folk came to Christ in that mission in, 80, in 97, who are still going on with the Lord. Okay, so it was, it was an exciting time, but it, it was also a focus for the churches to work together. Uh, and also the American students themselves, although they go to a Christian university, they're, they're, they're not all denominationally unified. They're from a various denominations. Um, and the other wonderful thing in the town was to strike up a friendship with the parish priest. Uh, and and, and th that got me into a lot of trouble. And frankly, I don't care anymore. I'm not looking over my shoulder and looking for another call. But, uh, <laughs> but it did get me into a lot of trouble because people thought I was you know, selling the, the denomination down the road for this. Uh, but um, that was a good... I remember David McMillan once saying to me, I, I had asked him to bring along to our church in Ballinahinch somebody who could give us a real insight into the Catholic religion because the troubles were on, and the town was divided, and David said, I'll, I can bring along a parish priest, and I'm not going to bring some prod to come and tell you what Catholics believe. That was good advice, and you would know that would be typical of David. So he said, get to know. The, and I took his advice on that, and I struck up a friendship with Jerry McCrory, and it's, it's, it's not a deep friendship anymore. We've grown apart, and he's a very old and sick. He's older than I am and he's not very well, but nevertheless, I grew to love the man. I really did grow to love him, and we talked about spiritual things, and I remember on one occasion him saying to me, what do you tell them about me, or what do they ask? And I says, Jerry, they always ask, are you, is he saved? And he says, what do you tell them? And I say, well, I tell them that you have a living relationship with Christ, because I have prayed with you and you have prayed with me. And he, was, he seemed happy with that. And, and he said, how do you get saved anyway in your terms? No, I've got to tell you this, because it fascinated me. And I said, you know full well that we believe by repentance and faith alone. And he said, what do you think I believe? And I said to him, 
My understanding, Jerry, because I've read your prayer book, I've read your catechism, is that you, uh, you believe that you're, you, you get the merits of Christ through the sacrifice of the Mass. What does that mean, he said? Well, I said, you take the wafer, you take from the hands of the priest, and so on. He says, Haddon, wait for this, because this actually excited me. Haddon, he says, all of that without faith in what it stands for is meaningless. I said, Jerry, say that again. That, you know, that was revolutionary to me. He said, it's not taking the wafer or going to Mass, it's faith in what it stands for, the Calvary work of Christ. That's the parish priest talking to me. You follow me? And our relationship, I knew then, he and I are brothers in Christ. And we prayed together not all that long ago. He got up in Ballinahinch. Charlie Lutton was in the first front row. I, I, I put a note in the Morn Observer uh, and the Lisburn Star that we were going to call. Do you remember that day? We were going to call the church to prayer, the town to prayer. We went and spoke to the doctors in the clinic. We spoke to the headmasters in the schools. We spoke to the, uh, the, the people in local government and asked them, what can we pray for? And we called the town together for prayer in the leisure center. And it was packed to capacity. And the Sisters of Mercy are the, from the, 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 you know, the convent on the Crossgore Road were there. It was a wonderful evening. And Jerry came up one side of the platform, I came up the other. And he said as belligerently as he could with time mics on like this, he says, I'm a Roman Catholic. And I says, and I'm a prod. And, and, and then he said, I believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I said, so do I believe in one. And each time we said something we agreed, we took a step closer. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only Son of the living God, and so do I. I believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary, and so do I, and that sounded nice and Catholic. And, uh, and, and, and we kept taking a step together. And I remember in the parochial house saying, Jerry, how will we end this? And he said, let's quote Scripture in unison. Nobody can argue with that. I said, that's fine, what Scripture? He said, from John 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we'll say that in unison. And at this stage, we're only a meter apart. And we said it in unison. Then I hugged him. Charlie Lutton was in the front row crying. He said, hadn't I never thought it could happen in Balanage? And you know, I know, look, by the way, don't misunderstand me. Jerry and I have profound differences. We have. But I believe we're united in Christ. And I know you can't say it about every prod and every Roman Catholic, but it was an experience for me, and it was important in the town. Uh, and, and I believe our church, we gave magazines, you know, Christian magazines out across the divide, and I believe the church developed a reputation for not being part of the sectarian thing. That was terrible. And I never had a word of criticism from anyone within the church. Got some criticism from outside, but not from anyone within the church. They were with us on this, and they were totally in agreement. Sorry, am I going on a bit? That, well, I'm just raising this as a wee signal, but no, well, that's, you, you, that's If that's you bring good. that up to your mouth, uh, yeah. I know it's time okay, to shut okay. up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Herbie Carson, I'm sure, mm. was an influence, as, as I Profound remember influence. him, as yes. somebody who, who was very keen on engaging with people and mm -hmm. talking mm -hmm. to leaders of the Catholic Church and mm -hmm. discussing important issues yeah. and I think provided for us Irish Baptists a model of engagement. That, Absolutely uh, yeah. and I, I went with him down to Maynooth to the Jesuit seminary where he was invited to come and speak on what is a Christian mm. 
And Father Hurley, who was the leading Jesuit, you know, also gave a perspective. Herbie was cheered to the rafters by a totally Catholic audience, uh, you know, for his candor. Uh, Herbie was a great, he, he had a profound influence. We had 11 years of his ministry, and uh, he, he had a big influence, there's no doubt. Good man. Yeah, he was. Uh, you moved from this period of significant ministry in Balnehinch to Windsor. Yeah. Tell us about navigating that change, not just uh, mm. about uh, retirement and, and what it means, but in a sense, moving from a family that you were very much part of into a new situation here. Yes, the, 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 the situation there is not good at the moment, and that's heartbreaking, but I, I really won't go into that publicly, and you would understand that. Uh, all I know is the church divided. I wasn't part of that. Uh, Betty and I determined that we would not take sides. We would hope and pray that Ballon Hinch would prosper and that Grace Fellowship would prosper. The church, for those who don't know, uh, I can remember there were something like five to 550 people meeting on a Sunday, and 200 of them moved to um, St. Field, subsequently became Grace Fellowship, and the others are still in Ballon Hinch. And my prayer was that God would prosper both, that out of this would come two strong fellowships. Um, Grace asked me to come and preach at one of their services, and I did that. In retrospect, that may have been a mistake, because it made it appear as though I was siding with Grace, but that's another, that, that, that's one of those things I look back on and wonder, did I do the right thing? Uh, we then decided that, that our son Ross was the rector of St. John's Orangefield, very ecumenical family. Claire's in uh, CFC, a bit of a difference, and Simon's in uh, Cromer, in an Anglican church in Cromer. So people say, what went wrong there? But uh, <laughs> I'm just thrilled they're going on with Christ. Anyway, we, we decided to move to Belfast and to be Claire's in Cyprus Avenue and Ross is up the Castlereagh Road, and so we moved to something convenient to that. And quite frankly, the most obvious thing in the world to us was to come here. Now, I'm going to embarrass you. David and I had worked together. I feel I know this guy. I love him and respect him, and I would be happy to sit under his ministry wherever he was, but it has, happens to be reasonably convenient here. And so it was the obvious place to come. David and Glenn are just a choice couple. I got to know them well. We worked together on the pastorate in Ballina Hinch, and I would be nowhere, nowhere else at the moment but here. Thank you. And I'm awfully grateful you accepted me in spite of my tendencies towards Rome. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about death uh, a few moments ago, but we'll, we'll try to uh, avoid it. Let me, let me come back to you, Hatton, because uh, I have a question down here about old age and strokes. Cheeky work. Yeah. Uh. You wrote to Derek Bingham in 2009, who said, this was Derek, just recently received a card from my godly and much-loved colleague, Dr. Hatton Wilson gently hoping I would share what God is teaching me in the furnace of my present experience. Mm. I didn't know that was written. Thank well, you. yes, Thank I you. Uh, did a wee bit of homework, but uh, yeah, you certainly well, has this been a furnace? And if so, or uh, even if not, what is God teaching you as you have struggled with health recently? Yeah, uh, thank you for that, that question. I'm, I'm moved that Derek wrote I didn't know that. I love Derek Bingham, and uh, I, along with... Um, uh, 
what do you call the other pastor with the funny name, Val English. Uh, Val and I buried Derek because we both knew him very well. But um, yeah, Ross asked me to speak recently in the parish church at St. John's on, what do you want me to speak on? He said, to a men's breakfast. He says, old age and a stroke. How does it affect your faith? And you know, your son can be quite cheeky. The, the, the stroke's a sort of biological fact. Old age is a matter of opinion, I've said before. <laughs> but nevertheless, you're asking a similar question. I, um, no, <laughs> look, I like new experiences, but the stroke's a bit ridiculous. But, <laughs> but, 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 but nevertheless, no, I, I, I have no complaints about it. It, 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 it was, it's been good for me. I, you know, it has sort of reminded me of my mortality. I think I, I, I think I said to you this in the house. I I was a bit too proud of my. I, 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 at the age of 79, I was healthy. If I went to Port Ballantrae, I could have walked the family from you know Dunseverick back to Port Ballantrae nine miles around the headland and outwalked some of them. I would have been the first in the water for a swim and so on. And I think I was rather proud of that. Now, I don't think that's why God said, right, stroke Wilson. Uh, I don't think that's the way God operates, but the, nevertheless, it cut me down to size. And um, I, I, I in, in many ways, thank God for that, honestly. Um, I have asked God <laughs> about healing, and he's told me to stop it. He really has. It's a bit like Moses and Pisgah looking over and wanting to go in there, and God eventually said to him, cut it out, Moses, you're not going in, so be it. And uh, both God and my doctor have said, Haddon, this is as good as it gets. Uh, it's up to you now, you know. But uh, I, I realized that God could heal me. He could make this arm strong again. He could take away this numbness in my face and so on. But he's more or less said to me, this is part of the course. Now run it and stop mourning. Uh, and that's fair enough. Okay, because when I, I mean, frankly, there's an awful lot of people infinitely worse than I am. I don't have a pain or ache. I sleep like a log. What have I to complain about? I would love to be able to go and run the marathon, but it's unlikely, you know? So I, 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 it has been good to remind me of more, my mortality, and quite honestly, I, 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 most of our family die when they're 97, by the way. Oh, no, 87, sorry, 87. You know, my sister, I was with her once, she said, you know, Mabel and Margaret Thatcher died when she was 87, our mother died when she was 87, and so on. I said, what are you, are you Mabel? She said, 87. And it wasn't very tactful. And Simon has said to me, hadn't make the best of the next six years, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but having said that, Gordon, I'm excited about what's to come. Now, that's, this is, the, please believe me, I'm not trying to be a clever dick, you know. But I'm excited about what's in front of me. The best has yet to come. Okay. okay. Well, let me take you up on that, Haddon. Maybe this should be our closing question. Okay. Yes, I've talked uh, too much. No, no, it's okay. Thank you very much for all you've said. What about the future? What yeah. hopes, dreams do you have as you think about, whether it's six years, six days, mm. whatever? I, I read of the kings of Israel and Judah he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did that which was good in the eyes of the Lord. That's what I want. That, that, if God can say at the end, he did that which was good in the eyes of the Lord, I'll be happy. So I, 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 I've done a lot of things wrong. I've got a lot of things wrong. I've been on wise on occasions. I would like 
whatever time is left to be excited and to excite others about the hope we have in Christ. Because I, and again, I'm not looking for stripes, I'm just telling you, I, if there's one thing old age and a stroke has done, I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm going to be there whenever Jesus hands over the kingdom to his Father. You, you know, we have a wonderful future. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't just die to save our souls. He did that and thank him for that. But he died to reverse the fall, to correct the whole wickedness, to present a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Uh, we should be talking every, not so much or every bit as much about what we're saved to as distinct from what we're saved from. And what we're saved to is incredibly exciting. And I think young people would be more excited about our gospel if we would spell that out. You know, the, the ancient, uh, the, the Americans are very interested in Celtic Christianity. And I love this truth, and I know we've talked about it before, but when they, the early Christians, before Patrick, celebrated communion as we did tonight, they would bring the rest of the wine and the rest of the bread, and they would proceed up the aisle, and the whole congregation would come behind them, and they would scatter it to the four winds, and they would cry out from the book of Romans, the whole of creation groans and longs for the day when it would be set free. You know, and, and we forget that Jesus died not only for our salvation, but to renew the whole of the cosmic order back to God. Sin and sickness and death gone forever. Wow, that's exciting. And I must say, Honestly, I lie in bed at night and I get goosebumps thinking about that. And I'm going to be there. Now, whether you have all people that on earth do dwell before that and, and bury me, it doesn't really matter at all. When I stand by a graveside, I, I, again, this is definitely a bit of, of boasting. I've conducted something like 80 uh, weddings and about 79 funerals, okay. And you stand by an open graveside and the coffin goes down into that grave and I look with real sadness at the, the, you know, the folk who have lost a loved one. That is sad, and I'll be there tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, we believe in resurrection, not reincarnation. This is not the end for the believer. And that, I think, we need to be telling the world the hope we have in Christ as well as the salvation. So I'm excited about it, genuinely excited. I'm not dying to get into the grave, but I'm dying to get to the presence of God in heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, and that's not the end. New body like unto Christ's glorious body, then with the whole of the uh, redeemed creation, watching Jesus hand his Father the whole thing back. Wow, the crowning day is coming. Charlie Lutton, if, if things are a bit, you remember in the congregation, if things got a bit dull, Charlie would say, stand up and say, let's sing the crowning day. And we would sing it. The crowning day is coming, is coming by and by. And you know the rest of it. It's just exciting. So I'm looking forward to that day. Haddon, thank you so much. You've shared your heart. You've shared your uh, passion, your story. And uh, I think like, Paul, when he was thinking about the Thessalonians, in a sense, you've been doing what he did. He said, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our whole lives as well. Thank so thank you for sharing yourself, 